Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Marvel in DC Cinematic Study Guide Podcast. I am your host, Sedale, the Marvel in DC Cinematic Cinephile, and I hope to keep your attention for a little while, as today, we're going to be going over Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. After discussing my initial reaction to the movie, we're going to be discussing some spoiler-free content, some spoiler content, and some final thoughts that I have on the movie. Alright, let's get started. Alright, alright, so this right now, this is going to be my initial reactions to the movie. This is going to be unscripted. Uh, This is just going to be right after I saw it. Um, You know, it's a little bit later after the day. I got the kids to bed. You know, it was a nice little enjoying anniversary, me and my girl. So now I'm just chilling. If you do hear a little hum in the background, it's because I got the heater on because it is cold as hell here. I am from California. I am not used to anything below 70 degrees. But anyway, let's get this initial reaction started. First of all, damn, that that was like an experience. <laughs> it was a really it was a really good movie. Oh, by the way, this is spoiler free. So, man, that was a very, 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 very good movie. Outstanding performances all around. Initial thoughts about the runtime. I didn't feel it. I, I, I do know there was a lot of complaints about certain things, about certain expositional, expositional points about the movie. And I think I was just so caught up in the spectacle of what was going on. And also, I'm just a sucker for underwater scenes. And um, a lot of the exposition and complaints about the runtime come about during this time of the movie. Uh, spoiler alert, in this no-spoiler review... There's scenes underwater, in case you didn't know. But, yeah, uh, that's why I'm a big fan of Aquaman, big fan of Avatar, uh, whatever, Million Depths Under the Sea. I just love all that stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, wow, uh, you're definitely going to cry if you have any emotions or feelings. Um, if you don't cry, you're just a heartless soul, uh, you know, no big deal. And, man, the action and the cinematography was really, really next really next level like when you're watching the movie it it didn't even look or feel like a marvel movie like everything that we've gotten beforehand it was just it looked like <laughs> just just a, a run-of-the-mill high-budget summer blockbuster and i'm very happy that they did move away from the this i'm assuming two hour strict runtime because uh, you did. You did have a lot of. Um, you did have a lot of. I, I want to say, more. You have more ability to explore the other characters. Not to say that this movie was perfect. There was a lot of things that could have been trimmed out, and maybe like if you could have given, if you could have cut like twenty minutes out of this movie and given ten minutes each to Doctor Strange two and Thor, four. I think it would have. I think overall you would have had a better phase when it comes to this phase four because I know there's a lot of complaints about that. And uh, we will uh, discuss that later in the spoiler section. But yeah, no, this movie was great. This movie was, you know, I, I don't know if I think it's better than the first one. Sequels rarely are, but uh, I'm going to analyze it. I've been taking a little I've been John little notes here and there or things that just popped into my head but initial reaction fantastic there's only one mid-credit scene if, if that's all you care about and yeah I'm running out of breath because I'm tired <laughs> I did a lot of walking around today 
And man, uh, highly recommend. Uh, you know, so stay tuned for a more, a little bit more in depth uh, analysis of this movie. And yeah, uh, we'll see how that goes. But that is a problem for future me because I am gonna get some rest. So I will talk to you in a few seconds. Bye. And now we're here. <laughs> okay, we are here in the future. Thank you for hopefully not cringing too much through my initial reaction. That was straight out the gate of the theater. Uh, I thought it would be cool to just have like my reaction and then jump into uh, my analysis of the film. So right here, this is going to be the spoiler-free portion of the episode. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie and you just want to support uh, my channel and then just try to you know take a listen, I will be offering spoiler-free versions uh either earlier in the episodes or maybe i'll have them off uh as their own episode we'll see we'll see but for now i'm I'm combining this into one big episode this is the spoiler free version i'm gonna i typed up a little synopsis for the spoiler free version and then i'm gonna tell you my overall reactions about the movie uh before we jump into the next part so here we go so the synopsis with king t'challa gone not only does his family have to deal with losing a son and a brother but a whole nation loses its king, and a powerful and meaningful member of the Avengers is now gone. With the exposure of vibranium, the world looks to seek out its own quantity of it, and in doing so, gathers the attention of a mysterious underwater people. With outside forces garnishing more attention to Wakanda, the people of Wakanda look to move forward in literal uncharted waters, with no leadership against a mysterious and enigmatic people led by Namor who looks to do whatever it takes to defend his people. Okay, with all that being said, let's go into the spoiler-free discussion. The movie really does just jump right in <laughs> to T'Challa's death, and it really does set the tone for the whole movie. And then the, the whole movie is really just, you know, dealing with that, dealing with him being gone, your life changing, and having to deal with grief, and having to do all these things and as much of as much as this movie is a love letter to Chadwick Boseman this movie is a love letter to you know dealing with grief and how people deal with it differently depending on what kind of grief it is depending how close you are to the person and it can be in the the most minute ways of how you deal with grief and it can as you if you watch the movie, it can be go to some extre extremities when it comes to that. So I really do appreciate the movie handling all of of its impossible tasks, you know, really well. Like, I mean, it goes without saying, I I don't think anyone really envied Ryan Coogler for what he had to do, him and his team, with uh, moving on with this project. Because it's you're not just losing your your main leading actor you're losing a friend and you know a very close business partner so having to deal with that and then having to just you know the show must go on and having to do that it, i can't even imagine having to do that the movie also does a very good job at really continuing the arcs from all of the main characters from the previous black panther movie yes a number of these characters do show up in avengers infinity war and endgame but it really doesn't expand on them as the way that Black Panther Wakanda Forever does. So, in all honesty, you probably don't even need to really watch Avengers Infinity War and Endgame to truly understand and 
really feel for this movie. Uh, there is really only one thing that you could take away from uh, the Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame movie. Well, well, two things, but we'll get into that, into those things later. You know, uh, you see a lot of character growth from Shuri, from M'Baku, from Queen Ramonda, and just seeing them having to deal and navigate their lives uh, into literal uncharted waters, it's... It's a very beautiful thing to watch. And I really appreciated the way that uh, these specific character arcs have grown. And how... how I, I do feel like they were expanded a little bit more. A lot of people say that they wish that M'Baku had more to do in this movie. Um, I think it's because he his role in the movie was a little bit subsidized. Because um, this movie was really more centered on T'Challa's family. Which is fine. But I'm pretty sure M'Baku has big big uh things coming for him in the future um other things i really liked about the movie spoiler free we're going to talk about the costume design the cinematography and the music my god all three of those things were each grand slams uh ludwig Gorenson, i really hope i'm saying that name right he's the person who did and conducted the music for the movie and man the sound design and the music for this movie hit hard you really could feel like all the emotion not just through the characters or or the actors and actresses performances but the music really really hit there's a scene uh that they showed in the trailers where angela bassett's queen ramonda is talking about you know what she's lost and like the sound design for that the i mean the music for that scene really really like added to the the strong and raw emotion and what he really did was really just electrify these scenes in a calm and an exciting way. When you go to the action sequences of this movie and like how it really just gauges each punch, how these characters are feeling, you feel it. You feel it through the power of music and it's amazing. And then when it comes to the cinematography, I really, 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 really liked the cinematography as well. The cinematographer for this movie, her name is Autumn David Arkapaw, Bay Area native. Let's go, let's go. And uh, if you're not familiar with her work, she did do the cinematography for Loki and uh, my favorite Jonas Brothers music video. I'm a sucker for you. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I hope I don't get copyrighted for that. But anyway, the cinematography in this movie was outstanding. I it You could tell from the trailers that this... Did not look like your old run-of-the-mill um, Marvel movie. You know, like, I mean, as much as I love Marvel, uh, a lot of the cinematography will be a lot similar. Especially when you look at phases two and three. Because they just found the formula that worked. And they they stuck with it. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, I mean, if it works, it works. <laughs> but this movie took a different approach. And uh, something that I learned in actually a film class that I took a few years ago when covering uh, Black Panther, the first movie, is that they actually use different lighting and different lenses so that it would amplify and um, give off the right... Uh, show. It, it would showcase the correct pigmentation of when it comes to African-American skin. And that's why I think this movie and the previous Black Panther movie, like, it really, really, really did... Like, it just looks nice. Like, it looks really nice. It looks outstanding. It's so visually and aesthetically pleasing not just for the people but um everything overall 
personally, I'm not really a big heckler when it comes to CGI. I thought the CGI was amazing. Uh, but also, I don't, I'm not really nitpicky. Me, personally, I, I don't really care how good or bad the CGI is. Like, if I, I'm never taken out of when I see on Twitter people posting, like, these single shots of a movie. And it's like, oh, this CGI sucks. I'm like, that looks fine. Like, <laughs> you pay the same price to see this movie as opposed to a movie that has no CGI. Uh, it looks fine. Uh, but, I mean, in this case, I, I think I think it did look really nice. Um, the underwater sequences, they looked really nice. But you could tell that a lot of the underwater stuff wasn't filmed underwater. Uh, that's That's one thing, like, compared to, like, Aquaman. Like, you could tell uh the difference like they did in the movie half underwater scenes like in real water and the other half in cgi and you can tell the difference if you're really paying attention but none of that stuff ever uh took me out of it <laughs> there there was a few times though where in the movie when these people would come out of the water and they were just like instantly dry i was like ah okay <laughs> but other than that uh this movie really does keep you in like I the the story and the action sequences uh it's I think it's it's a real big home run. I I really liked this movie uh visual visually and aesthetically. I thought it was very pleasing in those two categories. And yeah, when it comes to the music, uh Ludwig Göransson just reiterating my points about how much I loved the music. Uh you know, he brings his Grammy and Oscar winning um uh skills that he that he brought from that he had from black panther he brings it all in here other spoiler free things that i can talk about when it comes to the actors performances you really do feel for them you know i them actually grieving for chadwick boseman in real life you do feel that performance in the movie you know even if you haven't experienced grief in your life I do feel like this movie does a, a good job at helping you feel what the characters are feeling. And that's really done by uh, the cast. You know, this cast was very fortunate to have inherited such a, a well-talented cast from top to bottom from the first movie. And I don't think this movie would have delivered close enough if it wasn't for the amazing cast. And, you know, yes, you could talk about Shuri being the main character and... uh uh namor's beautifully executed performance but i would have to give the best performance hands down to angela bassett she really does carry uh herself in the movie in a way where she's feeling immeasurable pain because of her having to lose her husband and her son to forces that she had absolutely no control over and for her to carry that weight and yet to be so strong and and have and having to be the leader of a of a country when she never thought that she would have to is something that i genuinely believed because what i saw in angela bassett's performance as the mother and a grieving widow is something that i i I've, I've seen and felt in my own mother my mother had to deal with losing uh, you know, her husband, my father, and I also had two brothers that passed away. And my my mom really does carry all that stuff with her as, you know, it's a normal thing. It's a normal thing to grieve, you know, 
having to lose so much, but yet having to live your life and having to be strong for, you know, what's left. And in, in this case, you know, my mom has to be strong for me and her grandkids. And she, and at the same time, wanting to be weak and just cry and just randomly having these spurts and take it out on random people when you know that you should act better. But what is that definition of acting better in these grieving processes? So I, obviously my mom has never had to leave. I had, excuse me, has never had to lead a country, but I could feel the similarities between, you know, that. And it, that's why I really bought into, um, like Angela Bassett is just an outstanding actress. And it's crazy that she's played all of these <laughs> characters and she has no, she has no Oscar. It's crazy. However, do I think she gets an Oscar for a supporting actress for this movie? I doubt it. Um, just, just because the Oscars in general don't really favor when it comes to comic book performances. Uh, you have to play the Joker to, <laughs> to even be uh, considered. And um, I think there was. I think twenty twenty two was just a long. There's there's a lot of good supporting actresses out there. And when it comes to Oscar nominations, outside of cinematography, music, or even costume design, what I've already talked about, I don't, I don't think it, it's gonna get there. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. The Oscars don't really look towards comic book movies anyway. But who cares? I mean, whether or not a movie or these actors and actresses win or even get nominated shouldn't should not really affect how you feel towards a movie. But that's just my opinion, and. A lot of people criticized the runtime for this movie. I thought it was fine. I didn't feel it. Uh, you know, I I personally, even with all the research I did and, and even me doing a study guide episode, I didn't realize that the movie was almost three hours. Because, <laughs> you know, I say two hours and 40 minutes. I'm like, oh, that's not that long. But then, you know, that's that's almost a, an eighth of your day. And I mean, technically, that is an eighth of your day. If you're going to the movie theater, you got to go there and you got to come back, depending where you live. And <laughs> this movie could have definitely trimmed some fat. There was definitely some things that I I did feel like wasn't absolutely necessary to the totality of the movie. And I mean, this movie is without its faults. It is it is not a perfect movie, but it is an outstanding movie. And uh, we're gonna get into why I think it's an outstanding movie when I jump into the spoiler filled version or portion of this episode. Lego. Ah, you're still here. Awesome. Thank you for hanging on. So we're going to talk about spoilers in five, four, three, two, one. Okay. So first of all, I just want to let you know uh, movies that are essential to enjoying the movie, to fully have an understanding for the movie. I would just say Black Panther and Avengers 3 and 4, Infinity War and Endgame. And comic books, I think if you really want to see this movie where... Like from its original pages, I would highly suggest you read Black Panther Volume 5. Uh, number 1, that one actually I referenced in the previous episode. That one has Shuri taking the mantle of um, Black Panther. And she does become Black Panther in this movie. And then also, uh, jumping forward some issues, the same Volume 5 of Black Panther, but number 21. That one actually does have... Uh, T'Challa, Black Panther versus Namor or Namor 
as it's pronounced uh, via the anything that's not this movie. And that is almost page for page what you get in uh, the third act of this movie. And then also, I would I would take a look at Avengers versus X-Men. That one you have uh, Namor actually flooding Wakanda. And that is a very <laughs> powerful thing that uh, they show. That, that I remember reading that in comic books and that blew my mind that Namor would actually do that. But it makes sense. Because um, why not pit Atlantis versus Wakanda? Because it's a great idea, sure. And he does do that uh, in the movie when uh, the Talokans invade Wakanda. It's very, very visually terrorizing, but fun to watch because it's fiction. None of this is real. <laughs> okay, so jumping into the movie, the movie starts off, like I said, it deals with uh, T'Challa's death right away. The movie's just black, and then you see or you hear you know, Shuri praying, which I thought was very touching because she's a woman of science. You know, like in the first movie, M'Baku scoffs at her for, you know, ignore, ignoring tradition because she's a woman of science. So I think that, you know, when you're dealing with, with someone very close to you passing, I think you do turn to a side of desperation when you go beyond your beliefs. Like I know a lot of people who aren't religious and then when things like this happen, it's going to be like the one time that they turn to faith. And I thought that was very touching. And that's a very long, <laughs> long, long ways from uh, the Shuri in the first movie saying, what are those? You know, she's in charge of um, her lab and she's trying so hard to uh, figure out a cure for a brother or not, not just a cure, but a recreation of the heart-shaped herb. Uh, one thing I do want to want to mention about her praying was that she actually does pray to... There is a Black Panther god. Uh, his name is uh, Bast. And you actually do see him in uh, Thor Love and Thunder. When, when Thor and, and gang, they go to uh, see Zeus. And then there's a bunch of gods everywhere. They actually... I If I remember correctly, they actually sit uh, like right behind uh, the Black Panther god Bast. But uh, going to this movie, unfortunately, uh, Shuri's prayers falls on deaf ears. Uh, and, you know, after getting everyone out of the lab, Queen Ramonda comes in. And I mean, you know, it's just bad news, obviously. And one thing I really do like about this is that they I really do like the fact that they do jump right into his death, you know, as opposed to like toying with it. I mean, like, we all know what happened. So it's best to just get rid of it. And I don't feel like they could have handled that any any differently, any better. And then it, it jumps to the Marvel logo. And instead of having all the Marvel Cinematic Universe superheroes in uh, the opening scroll, it's just, you know, archival, archival footage of Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa. And it's just beautiful. There is no music. And I mean, man, it... <laughs> That honestly, that didn't make me cry because I saw it coming, but man, was that was that very sad. They actually, it's actually the similar um, opening that they have. If you watch the Black Panther movie on Disney Plus, they actually replaced the opening Marvel logo with that as well. And the reason why I say that T'Challa's death makes sense in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is because you know if he if he would contract a disease, then the hardship or would be the way to go, which is probably how they were he how they would heal uh kings before him. And because 
of the consequences from the last movie of Killmonger destroying all the other heart-shaped herbs, that it would make sense that this would be a real life issue. And I, I just thought it was beautifully done. And I thought it was very creative the way Ryan Coogler and team handled that. And then, you know, it, it really sucks because, like, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, obviously his family's dealing with it. But you have to think about Okoye because this is the second time that she's seen her king die in Avengers Infinity War at the end. He's trying to help her up before he disintegrates right in front of her. And she has to deal with that. And then, and then now she's dealing with, you know, death again. And, you know, she didn't know that he was going to come back the first time. And what's what's to make her think that he would ever come back this time? Then he, oh man, it was so sad. Transitioning to the to the funeral, you know, it it just really pulls on the heartstrings. And then, you know, after going to a, a number of funerals myself, it you know, like there's always this ominous feeling of, you know, what the hell are we supposed to do? What what are we going to do moving forward? And that is that is the theme of of the movie the next scene has queen ramonda of the un discussing uh the terms of vibranium and whatnot and whether or not it should be shared amongst the world and i i thought it was really i never really thought about this and i don't remember if it was mentioned in the first movie but the fact that vibranium isn't detectable in a metal detector like i could see how other nations would be scared <laughs> of vibranium and but, you know, rightfully so, Wakanda, who was represented by Queen Ramonda in the scene, you know, they don't want to share it because it's not that they don't trust, you know, the vibranium, but they don't trust the people that uh, would, would get a hold of it. And I think it's really cool. You have Richard Schiff as the United uh, States Secretary of State. And I feel so mad at myself because th his appearance in this movie was actually spoiled to me by myself <laughs> because um i was looking up his filmography because i'm playing god of war right now and that is actually uh, i'm playing god of war ragnarok and that is actually one of the reasons why this episode is getting out so late because i have been stuck on that game but anyway he's in that game and i was like is that him and then i googled his filmography and then he only has this one video game credit and then right above it is his most recent movie credit and it's black panther wakanda forever and i was really mad <laughs> i didn't see this movie uh thursday open night uh the, like i said in the previous episode this movie uh was coming out the weekend that it is me and my fiance's uh anniversary and we saw it on the saturday it came out and it was very fun but anyway richard schiff in this movie uh he is a very great actor i'm a big fan of his work but anyway wakanda forever is not about richard schiff so moving on <laughs> uh moving on you see uh as as Queen Ramonda is, I'm gonna call her Ramonda from from now on. She is mon as she is monologuing. You see these mercenaries, uh, board a Wakandan outpost to try and steal their vibranium, and man oh man, is their asses handed to them by the Dora Milaje. Like bam, and then again, like the beautiful cinematography of just them, like coming out of the darkness, and, and then just. Man, and then just w making all these mercenary people wish they were never born. It was simply, simply out outstanding. The next scene, or the next thing that it focuses on, is this ship that is in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And um, these two these two professors there, they're pretty cool. One was in Law & Order SVU, 
And he was a guy that I really liked to hate. And the other person, I believe her name is Lake Bell. She is the voice of Harley, a Poison Ivy on Harley Quinn. And she also voices Black Widow in the What If episodes when it comes to uh, Disney+. Plus. And it was nice for her to have a cameo here. But I do not think she is returning because the uh, these mysterious underwater people uh, attacked their ship. And what I think was really cool was that they had these... They had their like mermaid siren call just making the entire crew jump off the boat. And that uh, that really had me shook. Like uh, I'm not the biggest fan or the biggest uh, buff when it comes to mermaid mythology. But I do know that the earliest reports of uh, pe- uh, people on ships who were you know, lost at sea hearing these uh sirens they thought that they were coming from mermaids and it led to their death but i really think that uh they were just starving out to sea and then they saw these fishes and they just started to hear whatever the f- they wanted to hear but anyway yeah uh you know to to include that lore into these uh for now i'm going i'm going to call them atlanteans or you know sea people they really did a good job at showing how much of a force that they were and, you know, these people in the Atlantic, they were using this device to try and uh, detect the vibranium, which was just established to be non-detectable. So the fact that they were able to find it, it really does, you know, uh, cast a shadow on like what what's going on. You shift back to Wakanda and then you have Ramonda coming back to see Shuri and she takes Shuri out in the middle of the night to uh, burn the ceremon- their ceremonial robes to indicate that they're finished grieving uh and that's actually something that uh can be that i've I've read to be therapeutic in a way uh i i also uh have gotten rid of the clothes i used to grieve uh during that time during my father and my brother's death and then out of nowhere uh this mysterious figure comes in and and uh in the comic books he's called namor but he introduces himself as kukulkan but his enemies call him Namor. And then right away, Ramonda and Shuri go, okay, Namor. <laughs> I was like, man, you know, he was able to swim into Wakanda undetected, which is crazy to think of since, since uh, seeming that they have these invisible shields and all of these people outposted to make sure that no one comes in. But he got in and it's implied that he brought some people with him. His reasoning for visiting Ramona and Shuri there is because he... He his people were the ones that, uh, that killed those, f those American the American ship looking for the vibranium, and he wants to get the name. He wants to get the name of the scientist, or he wants them to bring him the scientist so that he won't bring war to the surface people. And before I go any further, I would like to talk about when they were ta- they had the showing of the CNN channel. And they had like a news ticker on the bottom when they were talking about the child's death. Uh, I thought it was really cool because if you read it, there was actually some Easter eggs. You had some uh, ones about Ant-Man and he he's promoting his new book. And I thought it was really cool because like if you see the trailers of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, it does show him as a celebrity. And I think that him writing about his his time traveling adventures and then that big fight with Thanos, I think him talking about it in this book and he also doesn't there also is a podcast of him uh 
in Miss Marvel episode one, which I thought was pretty cool. I think that is what propels him into a celebrity status. And then also there is a ticker that says new Asgard has signed a peace treaty. And that is something that I would really be interested in seeing what's going on there because uh, peace treaty for what? <laughs> so transitioning to actually getting the scientist, they do talk about it in the tribal room. And, you know, they are reluctant and especially M'Baku. M'Baku does bring up some good points because if they do this one request for Namor, what's to stop him from asking again and again and again? Right. But at the end of the day, they do decide to at least track her down uh, to track the scientists down. And then what they do is that uh, Ramona doesn't want Shuri to go. But Okoye, the head of Dormelage, wants, you know, wants to bring her. She thinks it would be good for her to get out of the lab. Reluctantly, Queen Ramona agrees and then they go. After seeking help from Everett Ross, the good white guy in the previous Black Panther movie, they discover that. The scientist is actually an MIT student named Riri Williams. I apologize if I say wee wee or Riri Williams because to me that is just a tongue twister and I don't know why Brian Michael Bendis decided to create a character named Riri Williams. But anyway, moving <laughs> moving on. Uh, it's very funny how they try to recruit her. They either are going to take her willingly or not. And just, you know, you buy the chemistry between these three women, Shuri, Okoye, and Riri. And I do like Riri's introduction into this movie because she really does bring a, uh, an outside comic relief. And the reason why she's a good comic relief is because she's really the only person in the movie that isn't grieving. You know, she's not going through that. So, you know, for her to bring, to not just be an outside perspective to not just Wakanda, but also to Talokan. And I really just like the whole dynamic and then the fact that she has a special warehouse and already has built an Iron Man suit. I thought that was very, very fun and unique. And, you know, after they get chased from the, by the FBI, who was uh, who has been tracking them because they think that the Wakandans are the ones who attacked their ship earlier in the movie. Uh, they get chased onto a bridge and then that is when they get attacked by the underwater people. On the bridge scene, you do see... The resurgence of these underwater people and they come up and you you see their strength and it's really really crazy how they're able actually i'm gonna say it's crazy that it okay okoye was able to hold her own against all of those people because uh, all of those uh, underwater people because my god there there is just no reason why she should have been able to hold her own i mean like they're all they all encompass or inhabit superhuman strength and is individually each stronger than Okoye and I I don't know how but you know plot armor plot armor or whatnot but man that, that was good for her but when she faces that big guy uh in in all the showings that I went to when she gets like hit by her own spear after it's planted it really got an audible groan from the from the audience. Everyone's like, "Oh, you know, like it was." She she really took a beating, and the the fight. I my me explaining this fight scene doesn't do it any justice. It was actually probably my favorite fight scene in the movie. But at the end, after she gets pushed into the water, uh, Shuri does uh volunteer to be taken. So she does go with uh these people, and then they. These whale riding people, <laughs> they just go and they and they take um, Shuri and Riwi. So the following scene is the same bridge during the day and it's visited by the CIA and FBI. 
where you see the perspective of Everett Ross finding uh, the bracelet that Shuri had. And also shown in, t- in this scene is Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Yes, I have to read that because her name is unreasonably long and I just don't want to remember it. It's discovered that she was actually married to Everett Ross, which I think is pretty funny and a fun way to uh, integrate her into the MCU, as opposed to just having her being plopped into uh, the post credit scene of Black Widow and her having a, a minor role in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, we'll talk about how we feel about her later. So now we're back in Wakanda and Okoye is pleading her case to everybody to, you know, let's band together and let's try and bring this fight to these underwater people so that we can bring Shuri back home. And, you know, you're you're really vibing with Okoye. It's like, yo, man, like, let's go. Let's go. And then out of nowhere, not really out of nowhere, but uh, the queen, she just goes on this on this rant, you know, like, no, you failed me. I'm going I, I'm stripping you from your rank. And, you know, everyone in the room, everyone in the room is trying to defend her at first. But, man, does Angela Bassett deliver such a great performance in this monologue about how how much she's had to lose because at this point she thinks that not only has she lost her husband's son she has now lost her youngest daughter you know and you know can you blame her for reacting this this way and firing okoye okoye went against her wishes and convinced her to do something that she didn't want to do and then now her daughter is presumably dead and you know as much as i love okoye as much as i think she would be the uh the proxy to black panther when it comes to like membership of avengers um, i i was after hearing the queen's reasoning i was like i'm sorry okoye but you gotta take this l dog <laughs> like you know this, this is kind of your fault <laughs> but uh the only thing i don't like about that is that um after she does get fired she really does get put to the wayside until the third act and then queen ramonda does go to haiti for for assistance and what's going on and uh it's a nice surprise but she does go to this school and the headmistress is uh nakia nakia is the the lover or you know the the love interest of the child in the first movie and it's nice that you know she's still integrated into this movie you know she has gone you know she doesn't really consider herself a spy anymore but as a favor to uh, the queen, you know, she is convinced to go and save Shuri. And then so this is when you see uh, the part in the middle, which a lot of people took issue with about being exposition. But I mean, my God, the exposition, the exposition was so cool. <laughs> you know, like you you see Shuri and Riri and they are, you know, essentially held captive underwater. And then Shuri is summoned by Namor and then he goes into this long explanation of his origins, how he's lived for such a long time. The I I thought the creation of these people about how they were initially surface dwellers and then they took something similar to the heart shaped herb and then it required them to uh, enter the water for them to fully survive. And my favorite part <laughs> of this movie has to be uh, all of this exposition. All of this exposition because. You have to understand, Namor has been around since the beginning of Marvel Comics, 1939. Literally, Marvel Comics number one. Referenced in the Study Guide episode, if you haven't listened to that. I hope you listened to that. 
uh, after this, before you watch the movie again. You know, Namor has been around for a long time. <laughs> and for them to introduce something new to his lore is very, very creative. And, you know, I, as much as I love comic book accuracy, I'm not a comic book purist. And to see them do do this was very was very creative you know like the fact that um his name is essentially uh it's a play on it's a play on words how when he came back to the service world after he was born his mother wanted to be buried there and then he just sees you know like uh the evil of human and he just starts burning everything literally starts burning everything to the ground and then this guy just goes up to him as he's dying, calls him, um, uh, what was it, El Nino Cinemore. And then that's how he got his name, Namor. I thought that was very creative. And I, you know, like the way that they introduce a lot of these characters, not just Marvel comic book movies, but in all comic book movies, period, how a lot of these names are very, very corny. And, you know, a lot of these names have only lasted because it's their names but the origin of their names is very dated and then i can't think of a, a, a better integration to modern society about a name that was essentially in the movie created hundreds of years ago i thought it was very very creative and i at first i was very i was very opposed to like saying no more i was like they better have a good reason for this and my god did they have a good ass reason <laughs> so this part of the movie i really do appreciated the sequence of it like i thought it was a little a little funny you know it's like i think it's like the one joke that namor drops is like you know you can go visit my city but the pressure alone will crush every bone in your body or you can wear a suit i hella laughed when that happened <laughs> and um when when he does bring shuri there and then they do the the, the the little seashell you know thing they do with their hands as you know like what their version of the wakanda forever sign i thought it was very unique i thought it was very creative which i later did which i later did find out was uh not part of the original script it was actually brought brought up during the production by uh the latin people involved with the storytelling portion of the movie and um in mesoamerica if you go see those old ancient aztec uh, paintings you do see uh people uh is mostly gods who are portraying that and there really is no direct translation to a reason why they're doing it it's just showing gods doing it but uh, a lot of them think that it means power and i think i thought that was very powerful <laughs> pun intended but uh this is the part where a lot of people are going to complain about the cgi like I'm, I mean, I don't know how realistic you want an underwater civilization to look, but I thought it looked fine. I, I thought it looked fine. I thought the whole aesthetic looked fine, and uh, I mean, you believe they're underwater? <laughs> I don't know what more you want, you know. And then um, it does go after they go back. Uh, Shuri turns down the alliance because she just doesn't trust um the motivations behind uh Namor, which is absolutely true do not trust this guy <laughs> and um a lot of people are trying to ship shuri and no more but i think that was just you know i i i didn't really i didn't really feel anything i felt like it was just more no more manip trying to manipulate um trying to manipulate shuri and 
you know, I mean, I mean, have you seen Tanach Huerta? He is a beautiful human being. Like, I, I felt like I had chemistry with that man. Like, my God. <laughs> like, yes, no, let's burn this place to the ground. Yes. But <laughs> regardless, moving forward in the movie, uh, uh, the queen summons no more. He goes and then uh, Nakia, that is when she comes in and saves Riri. And Shuri, and in doing so, she does kill some Talokans, and Shuri wanted to stay and save them, and Nakia was like, no, we gotta bounce, and I was like, oh my god, can't you just save, and she was like, nah, son, and then they just dipped, and then um, when Namor comes back, he thinks that it was all a plan, I mean, it kind of was, you know, that it was all a plan, and uh, he seeks revenge to Wakanda. So I'm going to gloss over this next portion of the film because, I mean, no matter how I explain it, it will not do it justice. Just so uh, Talokan invades Wakanda, you know, they uh, they <laughs> it up, you know, with with a uh, no <laughs> with lack of a better term. And they really like they really do bring Wakanda to its knees like they could have easily just taken over Wakanda. But at the end of the day, it was just a glorified warning. And how does namor do that he does that by killing the queen and that was so unbelievable my jaw was below the ground like i could not believe that like they went they put this family through they put everyone through all of this just to kill uh just to kill ramonda and I'm going to admit, I didn't like it, <laughs> but I just don't like seeing characters I like die, you know, like that's why, I, that's why it took me forever to finish Game of Thrones, I was like, oh, I like this guy, he dies, oh, okay, well, I'll watch this in five years, see if it gets better, and it didn't, but going back to this movie, uh, you know, that was really heart-wrenching, my god, just in slow motion, having M'Baku hold back Shuri, and then they're able to resuscitate Riri, who was, who was saved by Ramona, the last thing that she did, and it's like, oh my God, you know, Queen Ramonda, if only you, if only you were face up, maybe you would have survived, you know, and it just cuts to her funeral. And then, you know, like they're all at, they, they, they don't know what to do now. You know, I mean, what can you tell Sherry? You know, like everyone, you can tell that everyone's walking on eggshells around Sherry because they don't know how to deal. I technically, she's the queen, but is she thinking rationally? I mean... She just, I mean, she's lost her entire family at this point. What are we going to do? So then after they deal with the funeral of of Queen Ramonda, uh, we jump to the B-plot real quick where Everett Ross is uh, seeing what, what happened in Wakanda with the, because on the news they're showcasing the death of the queen. And he's you can tell he's doing his best to not have a reaction to show that he doesn't care. But unfortunately, uh, Allegra de Fontaine like bugged him so he knew she knew what was going on and uh you know arrested him for treason which is bull <laughs> you know he's uh and then you know it's a throwaway line but you, you know like when they when she talks about dreaming about having her own vibranium you can tell that this is just a setup for future marvel uh installments and there's probably gonna have to do with uh allegra de fontaine heading a lot of evil organizations and stuff like that and that i'm not looking forward to but anyway uh staying the staying still in this movie 
uh, after the attack on Wakanda, M'Baku offers um, re- um, a safe haven for everyone. So he offers them to move to his part of Wakanda, which was really cool of him. M'Baku, the real MVP, also acting as counsel towards Shuri. Back in the lab, Shuri is wrestling with uh, trying to fix the heart-shaped herb. And then she uses elements that she got from a bracelet that was given to her from Namor. And uses that to finish her synthetic heart-shaped herb that she 3D printed. And, you know, what I really like about the movie was that... I mean, the same thing with, like, they don't dance around T'Challa's death. They don't dance around Shuri being the next Black Panther. It was pretty obvious in the in the uh, trailers of who it was going to be. It wasn't real. I mean, it was really never up for debate if you, like, paid attention, uh, <laughs> you know, to this part of the story. Uh, I know some people felt like there should have been, at least been a discussion. Like, they just jumped right into it. But, I mean, what would be the point of the discussion? Like, it would just be more, uh, just more monologuing, more people, this and that. If anyone has the right to do what's going on with her family's tradition... It would be her. So I didn't think a conversation... Me, personally, I didn't think a conversation was necessary. I think, hands down, Shuri should be the next uh, Black Panther. It makes sense uh, logically, makes sense thematically, and it's a family thing. So taking the hardship herb, it is a ceremony in itself. And what happened in the first Black Panther movie is that when the hardship herb was taken, you were taken to the celestial plane where you see your ancestors. So when T'Challa took it, he went... Uh, he he actually took it uh, thrice in the first movie, and then you see him talk to his father and then his ancestors, and then Killmonger takes it, and then you see he sees his father uh, through the eyes of him being a child, and then when when Shuri takes it, this surprised the shit out of me. The person that she sees is a uh, Killmonger, like that. I was so because I did not think he was going to be in the movie, and I was like, "Man, I wonder how they could bring him into the movie." And it was just perfect how they integrated him into the movie. Like, like of course they wouldn't. Like, if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, like because of her motivation, it wouldn't be her brother that she would see, and also she wouldn't see her mother because she never took the heart shaped herb herself. So even though I don't think it's mutually exclusive that you have to take the archive herb to be an as an, an ancestor in the ast- in the astral little plane whatever, <laughs> but uh, I just thought it was it was a great workaround of the fact that Chadwick Boseman is not around, and I mean it works. I mean you know who doesn't want to see Michael B. Jordan? And my God, did he look f-ing beautiful? Like my God. Like, it's just not fair. You know, sometimes like, I think I'm a pretty handsome dude. Like, most of the time, I think I'm one of the most handsome people uh, in the room at all times. But my God. Like, I I didn't even want to watch this movie with my fiance. I'm like, man. Like, if you like, like I guess you want to leave me for Michael B. Jordan. Like, dude, like, he was wearing that white cardigan. Like, can you imagine if I wore that white cardigan? I would look like, I would look like a burnt light bulb. Like, <laughs> like. Dude, like, he looked so handsome, and it's just, my God, like, I'm not even gay, but, man, <laughs> I mean, he's making me question it, but regardless, going back to the movie, you know, thematically, it it makes sense that he would, that Shuri would see Killmonger, and, you know, he really, he challenges, you know, uh, in the, her motivations, and points out that they're not different, and 
you know, in her anger, she's like, well, you know, this is, you know, most of this is your fault because you burnt the heart-shared herbs. I couldn't save my brother. And I mean, you know, he's, she's not wrong, but that's not the point. <laughs> and then uh, Shuri wakes up and she has the power of the Black Panther. She has her own costume at the ready because why not? Convenience. And after presenting herself to the tribe and showing that the Black Panther has returned, they're ready for war against the Talokan. And leading up to the fight, Shuri does prepare the Midnight Angels costume or armors for Okoye and Michaela Coel's Anika. So they do have their own armors to try and level the playing field when it comes to fighting the Talokans. And then Riri Williams finishes her Iron Man design of a suit i'm not gonna call it iron heart because yes she cuts out a heart and it is pretty cool but uh i mean she she doesn't refer to herself as iron heart and uh, i'm pretty sure that they're just gonna reserve that for the film so they get ready for battle and then man it is a really nice uh fight scene uh how they attract the talokans with that device i thought that was really smart and then they come out of hiding and then they just uh, have that. They just have that, that big fight. Um, but I mean, bringing the fight to them in the middle of the ocean, where they clearly don't have the advantage, you know. That, maybe you couldn't ride around that, you know, because they were intending to fly away, but then they couldn't. So it makes sense, and it also makes sense that they were brought to the brink of defeat, because. I mean, these, these Salakans, you know, like, they're very, very strong people. You know, like, their bodies are meant to handle the pressure of being underwater. <laughs> you know, like, like the weakest, like, theoretically, the weakest Talokan child could be a lot stronger than a power lifter, in, <laughs> you know, amongst us surface dwellers. So that was, uh, that was really cool. And, you know, the main fight of the... The main fight of the movie is Shuri Black Panther versus uh, Namor and Man. That was that, that that was a really good uh, fight sequence, you know. Um, it, man, can you imagine how cool it would have been to see T'Challa versus Namor? Like, man, just another thing that you know life robbed us of. <laughs> it's, but uh, the the fight is pretty much ripped out of the pages of uh, what I said earlier, Black Panther, Volume Five, Number Twenty One, and. You know, and then you get, I was worried they weren't going to say it, but uh, they have Namor say his catchphrase, you know, Imperious Rex. And, uh, you know, I, I know people are going to bring up that it was, you know, that he, the direct translation is like something he said to Thor. But it's really just like a battle crying. You know, like, I mean, if, if I were to give uh, my my definition to um, Imperious Rex, it's uh, it's it pretty much just means uh, you're about to get these hands, motherfucker. So that's what that means. And, uh... But he kind of says it in the movie. So, like, in the comic books, he says it, like, before he attacks. Like, it's like a battle cry. But in the movie, he says it as, like, the fights has uh, taken a toll on him. And he, you know, it's more of, like, a goddamn as opposed to, like, you know, I'm about, you about to catch these hands. So, a little disappointing, but it, it I get it. <laughs> you know, and... uh after it after it feels like he has the upper hand on Shuri after stabbing her Thanos Iron Man style uh you know 
you know, getting stabbed through the spine is no big deal in the Marvel movies. So, like, she just walks it off and almost kills uh, Namor. And this is actually the scene that made me cry. Was, like, when she's struggling with her with, with uh, killing this man. And then she looks up and then she sees, you know, her mom. Oh, my God. That made me cry. Like, I, I think... I think that just brought out all the feelings and it's a full circle moment because you realize how similar she is to T'Challa in the way that in Captain America Civil War, uh, T'Challa lets Baron Zemo live, who was, was the person indirectly responsible for the murder of their father. And now you have Shuri sparing the life of the person that killed her, their mother. So, you know, it's a full circle moment and then they band together and, you know, they show unity and that's what makes the Talokans retreat from killing the Wakandans. And man, uh, it was it was really it was a really good fight. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like a movie that like took me out of like there's been a lot like the the most recent third acts of these movies really takes me out of the story. For example, in Shang-Chi, you know, it's a very it's a it's a very well grounded movie, but then in the third act of Shang Chi, as much as I love that movie, I've nowhere you're just fighting a dragon, <laughs> you know, in a mystical plane. So that really took me out of it. Not not saying that I hated it, but you know, it's uh, thematically in a movie, it makes more sense for uh, a, a more grounded fight scene. And yeah, that pretty much wraps up the action part of the movie. The movie ends with a bunch of um, scenes centered around Shuri and. You know, like she's saying goodbye to Riri. You know, it's like, hey, thank you for all your help. I apologize because you have to leave your Iron Man suit here because uh, your Disney Plus show can't afford it. And good luck making your own. You know, hopefully that suit does make a comeback. I, I thought it, I thought that suit was pretty cool. And then, you know, Riri goes off to uh, MIT and uh, we'll see her in uh, her own uh, show. And then uh, I thought it was pretty funny because um, they do show that ceremonial scene where they're there's an open challenge to the throne and then the flying ship, whatever it's called, like it comes by and then like you see someone coming out. And then I was like, my God, since when did Shuri have thick thighs? Oh, it's M'Baku. You know, <laughs> you know, I thought that was pretty funny. So uh, a lot of people are saying that this is open to M'Baku being the king of Wakanda. Um, the vibe I was getting throughout the movie is like he's more of like her lead counsel vice president i would even go as far as like prime minister you know or at the very least a proxy and uh you know i mean sherry does it it, re it wouldn't really fit her character arc to be this throne you know uh this throne lusting person so um i think it's i think it's open to interpretation and i think we'll get a more definitive answer in future mcu properties you know like there's you know, the thing about having issues with these Marvel movies and even the DC movies is that, you know, it could always be fixed in a, in a future installment. So, I mean, take it for what it is. Uh, and then you do see uh, Everett Ross being taken away to jail and then boom, he gets saved by Midnight Angel Okoye, which I thought was pretty dope. And uh, the license plate of the of the van that's taking him, it's actually a reference to Chadwick Boseman because it says CB... And then his birthday. So I thought that was pretty original. I didn't catch that until uh, uh, later because I thought CB was weird. I was like, oh, is that Chadwick Boseman? And then like the the numbers uh, align well with his birthday. And um, I mean, the final scene ends with um, 
uh, Shuri arriving in Haiti. She's at Nakia's house. And then she finally burns her ceremonial robe so that she could finish grieving for her brother. And then it ends with, you know, a video montage of uh, T'Challa by Chadwick Boseman. And you get this nice little send off by Rihanna. <laughs> and that's the movie. So, man, it w- it was a great movie. And then just listening to I. Uh, my fiance didn't like the Rihanna song, but I like the Rihanna song. I think I didn't ask her opinion about about it um, after seeing it in the movie, but I thought it was pretty good. And then, of course, the mid credit scene. My God, the mid credit scene and what the mid credit scene is is you know as she's sitting there at the fire watching her her robe burn, Nakia brings his kid, and then she's like, "Oh my gosh, who are you?" And then when it's found out that it's her. And T'Challa's son, my my God, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you know, like when you see him show up, like you can see it coming, but like just hearing it, just changes everything. It changes everything so much, so well, you know. And uh, you know the the pure shock on Sherry's face, and you know, like surprise and seeing her nephew, and then just the relief knowing that their mom was able to meet them it was very, very, like, man, so much mixed emotions, you know, and. That is something that I personally re- relate to because the the morning after my father's funeral, uh, that's when my fiance told me that uh, she was pregnant. And man, I like I I understand those feelings on Sherry's face all too well. <laughs> and then he announces that his uh, Haitian name is a uh, Toussaint. And his uh, real name is T'Challa, and he is Prince T'Challa of Wakanda. And then, movie ends, and I I thought that was just a perfect uh, bow tie for to to end the movie. So yeah, that's just how I feel about everything in the movie. So now I'm gonna talk about uh, some characters, issues, and what I loved about this movie that I thought was just simply outstanding. Okay, so I just want to talk about the issues that I have with this movie. And I'm telling you right now, this is me being really, really, really nitpicky. I had to really think about if there was anything I just didn't like about this movie. And I'm going to be honest with you, there wasn't really anything I didn't like about the movie. Uh, So these aren't really issues. These are just things that like, if I was Kevin Feige, these are just some things that, you know, I would change. I Even with... Even without these changes that I'm about to announce, I still really loved this movie. So um, the first thing is uh, there wasn't enough white people. No, I'm just kidding. So the the thing, the first thing that comes to mind was that I really would have liked to see more reaction when it comes to uh, the death of the death of T'Challa. You know, like you, you there wouldn't need to be any any uh, cameos or anything like that. But you know, like t- to see like if maybe if the Avengers if the Avengers are still a thing. You know, if they, you know, like maybe they put out a statement of to, you know, like the passing of, you know, this person that fought alongside them against the battle of Thanos, you know, or, um, you know, other, maybe there, maybe you would have had the Daily Bugle, you know, like say something about, um, you know, like what, what happened and stuff like that, you know, just, just more more reaction as opposed to like just the initial reaction in the first few minutes of the movie. I do understand why they didn't do it because you know you don't want to focus too much on T'Challa himself as opposed to like the the main characters of the movie reacting to his death. You know you don't want to bring too much focus on 
the wrong thing because then it would affect the theme of the movie. So I understand why it wasn't done, but it's just something I thought uh, would have been would have been very cool. And then um, as much as I love the cinematography, as much as I raved about it earlier in this episode, uh, the one scene that I I really the closest thing to a scene that I didn't like was the first scene where they show Namor and then he's talking to a uh, Queen Ramonda and Shuri. Uh, it's the one where their uh, Queen Ramonda is burning her robe. I thought that scene was just too dark. Like I'm sorry. Like I thought there was I thought there was like an issue with like my my theater's projector. I was like like I understand you want to build realistic aesthetic. Like your 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 outside it's pitch dark. You you only have this fire pit and the uh the light from the stars. But I'm I'm sorry, it was too dark. <laughs> you know, but I mean I think it does add a little bit to the uh to the terror of Namor, how like you know how 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 true can you really see that your enemy? But I would have just had it just a tad lighter. <laughs> but I mean come on, I'm like I said, I'm being nitpicky. It didn't really bother me. It, it it only like took me out of it for like a few seconds because I was like, is it really supposed to be like this? And then once I accepted it, I was like, OK, but uh, yeah. And then this isn't really something that I feel is wrong with the movie. I, I saw this tweet. It was like saying that this movie was too woke. And then the response to that tweet was like too woke. The previous movie literally had Killmonger wanting to kill people to just get these weapons and give it to black people. Like, I don't really think <laughs> that this movie was uh, too woke. Uh, but in the in the same conversation of something being quote-unquote woke, uh, I thought it was preposterous. Like, I thought it was simply ludicrous that this movie was banned in China for its LGBTQ scene. And I knew that information going into the movie. And I was like, the movie was almost over. And I'm like, where the frick is this, like uh you know scene and then it's literally a blink and you miss it like kiss on the head like <laughs> like like for it to be banned in a whole country where you would possibly get hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue for it to be banned for that like i thought there was like a like a gay sex scene <laughs> you know or something like that and like even in Eternals, that movie was also banned because of um, the uh, LGBTQ scene. But, like, I mean, they it was two guys and they kissed on the lips. I'm like, okay. That was sure, if you're really against that. But, but like, in com by comparison, that this scene in the movie makes the scene in Eternals look like a porno. Because, like, I didn't even, it didn't even register to me that. That that it was two women like kissing each other and uh, one mer one person one woman kissing another woman, like I was just in awe that you know that you know it's twenty twenty two, and all around the world it's still it's it's always something it's always something, but um anyway uh I don't want to get too into that, but anyway going back to the movie another thing, um. Another thing I had was that uh, I thought that M'Baku didn't get enough screen time. Like, 
he had a good character arc. He goes from like wanting to kill the fishman to um want wanting to uh, you know uh, be more peace centered. You know, towards the end of the movie, as he realizes, like he reads the room and realizes the kind of counsel he needs to be for Shuri, which was he revealed in the movie that he he promised the child that he would be, and um, I thought that you know like with i'm i'm not i didn't i don't have a problem with it but i mean like this movie became really female dominated and i think that's really off-putting to uh a casual audience and you know to have mbaku be in the movie more i think would have really helped with those people who have an issue with it but at the end of the day who cares this movie was about sherry <laughs> and i guess the last issue i had with the movie was that so like i said i didn't feel the runtime of this movie but did it really need to be over two and a half hours? Like, honestly, you could have, for me, y- this is my opinion, but my opinion is correct. It's the way of law. Uh, they, you could have easily taken out the entire Everett Ross storyline. Like, you could have you literally made that into one of the, the tickers in the news, in the, on the news channels where, like, it said... New Asgard signs a treaty. You could have easily just not have had uh, Everett Ross in the movie and just have a ticker that says Everett Ross arrested for treason, and that's it. Like that, that would have covered, you know, literally everything else. You know, um, they could have found another way to find uh, Riri Williams. You know, they could have integrated that. You know, taking something out of a movie doesn't mean you can't uh, fix it in a different way in the same movie. So. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, I I felt like everyone else had their proper screen times. I felt that everyone, uh, you know, like I felt like character arcs were followed. Uh, aesthetically pleasing was the movie. And uh, I mean, I couldn't find any plot holes in the movie. So switching over to like what I loved about the movie, this part isn't going to be that long because if you've been listening along to this whole episode, I've I've sort of been gushing about my favorite parts as uh, we've been going along the movie, me me talking about it. But one of the characters I really want to focus on is uh, Namor, and I thought I'd like I really 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 appreciated and respected uh, Tenoch Huerta's performance as Namor. Like, he really does do the character justice. And it's not like they remade his character from the comic books. It's more like they redefined who he was. And, you know, what what Huerta does for, um, you know, his performance for Namor in the comic books is that, you know, like, when I read Namor in the comic books, what I get, I get, you know... um it's it's essentially what Tenoch Huerta brings to the role. And what he brings to the role is, you know, like the valor of a mad god in the form of a protector and leader that yet has integral and selfish values. And that is Namor to a T. And what that is exactly what he brings to Namor. And, you know, like even at the end, after the truce, you know, he does it for selfish reasons. He's like, okay, well, I guess I'm just gonna have this uh, allegiance with Wakanda. And, you know, like, everything 
you know, like you feel for him because everything he does is for his people. You know, everything he does is to, you know, maintain his leadership. And, you know, because they do truly, you know, worship him as a God. Like what, like, like Winston Dukes uh, in Baku, when he goes, they call him Kukulkan. You know, like he is seen as a God to these people. And I mean, what he, what he does is lead them and, you know, they, they essentially pray to him. And, you know, I really love, like, the mythos around uh, uh, Namor in the comic books, too. Like, I didn't look up the casting list going into this movie. And then when 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 I found out those two people, the girl and that big dude, was Atuma and Namora. Oh, my God. I got chills when I, when I heard who, that's who they were. And it made sense. That's why they were so badass. In the comic books, he's like their lieutenants. He, he's their lieutenants, essentially. What... He's essentially those two are the people that he sends before he shows up to up. So that's what they are, and uh, I mean they're very underrated in the comic books, and I'm very happy that um, they got they got um, they got due diligence here. Uh, the performers were really good, but because they always had those things on their face, you know, to help them uh, breathe above water, it really does it really did take away from their performance. But I mean, it makes sense and. You know, they weren't the main characters, so I guess it's fine. So yeah, talking about Namor, I will, this next part's going to be 100% my opinion. But like I said, my opinion is, is law, and it's correct. But, I mean, if you're going to go Talokan versus Atlantis, uh, I really like how they, you know, differentiated themselves, you know, like by uh, integrating Mayan and Aztec roots. Uh, you know, and then it was smart, you know, to, you really got to differentiate, uh, you know, your underwater people from the distinguished competitions um underwater people you know uh it just makes it easier for marketing i guess and it was really unique you know like atlantis is more of like a kingdom you know it's more it's more like an underwater you know working city but when you look at uh talocan in the movie what they i really like how they kept it you know really ancient looking like it looks like if you were to go through the pages of a of a Aztec or Mayan National Geographic magazine. Like it, it looked really really good and I mean yeah. oh who would win? Uh Aquaman or uh Namor? And I know what the generic Stanley answer is like oh it's whoever writing is the story. Well, check this out. The better version of that question is if you were the writer, who would win? You know, example A or example B. So I think when it so I'm going to answer that question. If I was the person writing the story because of the fact that we have decades of of um evidence that we could use to support our arguments. So in the comic books, I don't think it's close and I think it's Aquaman. Aquaman, I think in the comic books, I think he is vastly superior to uh Namor. But I mean, if we're going with MCU versus DCU, uh if you're, I'm not saying this is true, but if you're going to say that, uh, and Ryan Coogler has confirmed this, that if he has the strength of Thor and Hulk, then I would think that he would be stronger than Jason Momoa's Aquaman in the DCU because I would put the Hulk and Thor, you know, up to, you know, being able to go blows with uh, Superman. 
or at least hold their own. Aquaman cannot. And if you were going to put uh, the MCU's Namor into that category, then I believe if I were going to be writing the movie, that he could easily beat Jason Momoa's Aquaman for now. I got to see what what he gets in, you know, I got to see his evolution in Aquaman 2 at the end of next year. And um, if you don't agree with this, I don't care. <laughs> this is just my opinion. So that's just what I think about uh, when it comes to uh, that. This is a Marvel and DC podcast. You know, we're not having a lot of DC stuff out yet, but uh, I will I will bring up these. Uh, comparisons in later episodes and of course i'm not gonna let you guys go without discussing the mid credit scene my god that blew my tiny filipino mind away and i thought it was really cool you know and then i think this mid credit scene is the perfect middle ground for the people who wanted to cast to who, I'm, I'm sorry for the people who wanted to recast t'challa or in the people who did not want him to be recast. Like, this is the perfect middle ground. Because you are still honoring Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa. If that's what you wanted to do. But you're still going to have a T'Challa in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you have the ability ability to recast him, but not. I think it's perfect. And I'm very looking forward to the future of that, you know. And, you know, to dive into who he is. You know, he's named... Toussaint, you know, he's named, that's one of the, uh, the founding fathers of, uh, Haiti, of, uh, Haiti. And even though he did die, you know, um, uh, soon be- before they were able to establish their independence, while he was a big figure in doing that, you know, they still consider him as one of the, the founding fathers of their country. And, you know, to have him be named, you know, T'Challa, like, my God, I, I personally didn't see that coming because I, he does... In the comic books, T'Challa does have a son with uh, Storm, but well, actually, it was he was shown a he was first shown in an animated movie and then shown in comic books. But then, you know, I I was really happy that they didn't go that route. You know, like you can still have T'Challa in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and you can have your cake and eat it too. Like I th- I thought it was very I thought it was perfect, and you know, like the ba- the background. You know, if you think about it. He, this is my headcanon. This is what I think. So he was probably born during the blip, right? So, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, T'Challa knew that Nakia was pregnant. And, you know, like when he gets blipped back, he comes back. And then now you have a five-year-old boy, <laughs> you know? So uh, it would make sense for, you know, because he wasn't there for the start of his child's life. Oh, you know, why? why would you just reintegrate his um you know his life and then be you know the the next prince the next king you know so it it makes sense with the t'challa in the marvel cinematic universe it makes sense with his character that he would want this for his son because uh, he didn't i don't think he was very fond of the pressures of the throne um as well and the cool thing about this is that if you see the movie again that scene where Queen Ramonda visits Nakia in Haiti, where she approaches her by the headmistress, he's there. <laughs> he's there running around being, you know, a little kid having fun. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty 
pretty fun, and I'm very excited for uh, what this means for the future of um, that character. And I mean, are they gonna age him up? You know, like are we gonna have a, a young mutants? Is he? Is this the T'Challa that's gonna, you know, uh, be married to Storm? Like it, 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 it opens up a lot of possibilities for the future, and I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. So, yeah, that's my analysis of the mid credit scene. So, uh, some, some. Final thoughts, some theories about this movie, I guess. Um, a lot of people want Ryan Coogler to direct Secret Wars. I think he's a good candidate, you know, because, like, you know, for these big um, crossover event movies, they, they've kept it in-house, you know, ex- with the exception of uh, Avengers 1 and 2. They just had Joss Whedon. But, you know, Avengers, you know, the, the other big crossovers, uh, Captain America Civil War, Avengers 3 and 4, you know, th- those directors were in-house. So I think it would make sense to Ryan Coogler, but goddamn, give the man a break, you know. Like I, you can't. I can't even imagine what he had to go through, all the all the things he had to go through to make this movie happen, you know. So I I really hope that Ryan Coogler is just you know chilling, you know, whether it's at a beach or a strip club, and he's just you know enjoying his life and you know making bank from you know the points that he gets off with this movie, and um, you know, like when you're talking about Secret Wars and the uh, the introduction of the multiverse. This is the multiverse saga. I mean, you could bring back Michael B. Jordan as a as a variant, and have him be uh you know a variant Black Panther, and uh stuff like that. And when it comes to the future of Shuri, I did re read a a rumor that Shuri did not want to do another movie after Wakanda Forever, and you know there are rumors about you know like about the backs behind the scenes drama surrounding Letizia right because you know you know she I couldn't find anything like confirming that she was an anti-vaxxer and that that's what um that's what halted production on the movie for a while and you know but what I did see was confirmed that she did suffer a a leg injury uh which did sideline her for a while so uh, I don't know if that's a cover-up story or whatnot, or, you know, whatever your stance on anti-vaccines or whatever, but, you know, that's not something I'm here to discuss on this podcast, but I think that, you know, she has to, she has to come back. I think, you know, if you just throw enough money at her, if you give her enough time away from this movie, I think if she is having those feelings, then, uh, I think if you just give it time, she'll, she'll come back, but this is coming from me. I have literally never met the, the woman so, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, more final thoughts. Um, I think it's crazy that Ryan Coogler was was able to do this. You know, like, he pulled it off. Like, he pulled it off. Like, there's no denying that, you know, he made this movie the best that he could do. And from the original, from the original release date, this movie was only, pu- pu- was only pushed back six months. You know, even with... Um, uh, Letizia Wright being out for a while to heal from an from an injury, you know she. Uh, you know she didn't really impact, a lot of things. You know and, uh, overall I think this movie, not only is this just a love letter to Chadwick Boseman, but it's also to a, it's also a love letter to to grief and people going through grief and that, you know like, it's okay to go through some dark times, as long as you see the light at the end. And I really, you know, dealing with my own grief. This isn't a movie I needed because, you know, I've I've gone through, you know, my own my own path. But, you know, it's nice that this movie exists because you could look at this 
you know, like, yeah, it's a comic book movie. You can dismiss it as much, but it has such a deeper meaning. And I really appreciated, you know, everything that the movie did in terms of being a love letter to grief and, you know, tributing a person that, you know, we all feel like we lost even though we never met. So at the end of the day, what's the final grade? I'm going to give this movie a four and a half out of five heart-shaped herbs. And, you know, that last half, it wasn't properly 3D printed. So, you know, I guess I need to fix my printer. But anyway, uh, I ended up liking the first movie a little bit more. You know, but, you know, it, it's really hard to compare because the scale of both of these movies are just so dramatically different. You know, like the first movie was the first Black Panther movie was just really a generational movie, you know, like like what I talked about, you know, like how how not just they're portrayed, but how how, you know, these people looked and how these characters were portrayed. And it was just so positive and you know like after a long history of uh african-american people being shown as like uh you know just uh bad guys or just in a negative context you know like to see them in a superhero uh movie you know like and plus that movie was just badass you know <laughs> like uh there i can i can i can do a, a whole separate episode about how much i love that movie and you know this movie you know it was just faced with impossible tasks it's also you know it also you know, yes, there are parts that obviously would have been better if Chadwick Boseman was around, but I am not, I think it's a little bit unfair to judge that. But there are parts of the movie where you could feel that it was impacted by the pandemic. And that is also, you know, like, you know, like how, how much longer are we going to have to deal with this? <laughs> you know, so um, I really liked the movie overall. So yeah, that's how I felt about the black panther wakanda forever movie i loved it so dang much four and a half out of five i mean come on <laughs> like that's that's a pretty outstanding rating if you ask me so that right there that is going to wrap up uh my review slash reaction for black panther wakanda forever uh thank you so much if you're if you made it all the way through, uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're you're sexy and you're beautiful. I love you. And um, I guess the only question I have is, uh, what do you want to What do you want to hear from me? You know, this is this is a Marvel and DC podcast, but this is probably going to be mostly Marvel stuff for the meantime. The next DC project isn't until March, which is Shazam Two: Fury of the Gods. And um, the next episode, I'm probably going to pump out is uh the guardians of the galaxy holiday special study guide and um i mean what do you want to hear from me i mean do you want me to break down trailers do you want me to break down news do you want me to do um versus episodes uh what what, what do you want to learn on the marvel and dc cinematic study guide podcast what do you want to learn do you have suggestions for a shorter title <laughs> you know anything let me know i am open to everything listen i this is this is one a episode for me so i uh i'm still experimenting uh do you want this to be uh would you rather have a spoiler free episode and then a spoiler episode man you know let me know let me know because i am here to please you with my mouth what <laughs> well anyway Go ahead and follow the Instagram page. It is Marvel in DC underscore study guide at Instagram. I do not have a Twitter page. 
I do not have a TikTok page. I am working on a YouTube page because I do know some people like to listen to this on YouTube. Uh, but we'll see uh, when we get there. And then you can also follow me on Letterboxd, Sidel134. I review all sorts of movies, not just superhero movies. And my Letterboxd review for this movie and the previous Black Panther movie will be out soon. So thank you. I love you. Stay sexy. Stay beautiful. And hey, read some comics. You might learn something. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast.